0: Galatians 2, 1 to 14. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me, On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me in mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him face to face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself I know uh, some of you have got children here. Some of them are young, some of them old. And I don't know whether you remember the question stage. I was one of these sort of bratty little children who always asked questions. Most, most often they were, why? Why? So whenever my dad said something, why? We all go through it at some point, and I'm sure, sure you've got that to look forward to if you haven't already experienced it. But I still do it today. Possibly less annoying Although you'd have to ask Lizzie to see if it is that annoying. But I still do it today. And I do it especially when I come to look at the Bible. And this passage uh, led me to do it a little bit more. And there are five questions that I would normally ask. They're quite simply, who, where, when, why, and what? Who, where, when, why, and what? Uh, And there are some very easy answers to all of these questions. We can find them right here in Galatians. The first one is, is who? Uh, We learn from Galatians 1 that it's Paul who's writing it. He's writing this letter to a bunch of churches in Galatia, an area in sort of Asia. And there's another couple of who's. There's Barnabas. He's a Jew. He's like his Jewish sort of backup, his sidekick, his Robin to his Batman kind of thing. Uh, But there's also Titus. And we learn something interesting about Titus. He's a Greek. He's not circumcised. He's a Gentile. And Paul has taken him to Jerusalem, the center of Jewishness, uh, if you like. Um, could be controversial, could not be. We'll come to that later. Um, the second question we've got is where? I've already answered that one. The where's Jerusalem, it's right there in verse one. Uh, he went to Jerusalem. So this is where this sort of part of the letter is set, uh, if you like. And our third question is, is when? Again, another easy answer. That was 14 years after he was there the first time round. So basically, he's there second time, 14 years later. That's sort of the situation, the background that he's writing in there. The next, I, I came to ask myself, why is Paul going to Jerusalem? Why is he written this letter telling the Galatians that he's gone off to this city uh, of Jerusalem? It's Slightly trickier to answer, but Paul does give again, give us the two answers. The first one, we see the answer in verse 2. Uh, Paul goes because of a revelation from God. Now, from my background, uh, it's an interesting thing for me to look at. Uh, But it's quite clearly Paul had a word from God, a message from God telling him to go to Jerusalem. We can guess that this revelation, this prophecy was from Acts 11 when a a prophet, I can't remember his name. It's got a weird name. Look it up in Acts 11 if you like. Uh, He said, there's going to be a famine in the land. Agabus. Well done. There we go. He deserves a lolly, Nigel. Um, Yeah, Agabus says there's going to be a famine in the land and that the churches should help their brothers in Judea. That's the prophecy. And that's what most people reckon that Paul was doing. He was fulfilling this prophecy. He was going to the famine. He was sharing uh, with his Christian brothers in Jerusalem and Judea. He was sharing the, the the wealth and food and stuff from Antioch and Macedonia. You can read again that in, in later on in Acts. Uh, so that's the first reason, this prophecy, this revelation from God. And the second one is uh, Paul goes to them to set before them the gospel that he has been preaching. So basically, Paul goes to Jerusalem to tell them that he is preaching the gospel. There's been a bit of an argument in In the Jerusalem church, there's some guys, they're called Judaizers. They're kind of like Jewish Christians, kind of. And they've been trying to say that Paul and Peter are preaching different things. But Paul is going to Jerusalem to say, actually, we're not preaching different things. We're preaching the same thing. We're both preaching this gospel. There's not a gospel according to Paul and a gospel according to Peter. There's just the gospel according to Jesus. There's no, there's not two gospels. It's just one gospel. Uh, gospel and that leads us to our what now the what is what I'm going to spend most of my time looking at because the what is quite important you might say Uh, it's also very exciting uh, and it's the gospel that works excellent and we can see that from Galatians all of this chapter really is the gospel and that's what Paul is writing here this is the whole reason why he's writing this this book is to ensure the people know that he is preaching the gospel of Christ. We get that right at the beginning of the book, when he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus, sent by Jesus. He's clarifying who he is and why he's writing this letter. And we really need to look at what this gospel that Paul is preaching is. Uh, so that's my first sort of point. I'm, gonna, I'm a typical uh, preacher. I'm split into three parts. Uh, but the first part is, what is... The gospel, And we can see this uh, from not really Galatians. If we look back to Acts 13, you don't have to flick back. You can look back later at your own time. That's fine. Acts 13, Paul is in a synagogue and he's addressing the bunch of people gathered there a bit like you are now. And he addresses them and he tells them the gospel. Now, basically, my summary of this is, uh, is this. God chose Israel. He chose Abraham and he called him. He gave him these promises. And he brought them out of Egypt where they were in slavery and gave them his promised land. Then he gave them a king. That king was David, possibly the greatest king in Israel's history. David dies, his son takes over, etc., etc. He also promises to David a savior from his line. And this is the next part of the gospel that Paul says. There's a saviour from David's line to Israel. This this saviour is going to save them from their sins, save them from uh, invaders. He's going to be the Messiah, the Christ. And this saviour is Jesus. Uh, Jesus was crucified by the people of Jerusalem. He was raised to life by God. And all this was promised throughout the Bible. And that's basically in, in Matt's speak, the summary of the gospel in Acts 13 that Paul shares to the, the synagogue. Uh, Jesus came to save the people, of Drew, the, the people of Israel, everybody. He saved them from the law and from sin, basically. Um, that's what uh, the gospel is. I've put it in even easier words because I'm quite simple sometimes. And basically, the gospel that Paul taught, you can read it up here as well. Sinners like us, like you and me, We can be pardoned from the judgment we face for rebelling against God. And we can be accepted by him because of his grace in sending his son to die in our place. I'm going to read that again because that is really important. Sinners like us can be pardoned from the judgment we face for rebelling against God. And we can be accepted by him because of his grace in sending his son to die in our place. That is basically the gospel that Paul preached. That's basically the gospel that we have today. It's not what we do. It's not anything I can do. It's what Jesus has already done for us. Died on the cross. Martin Luther, a great German reformer, he puts it, he says, sola fide, uh, which for those of you who don't speak Latin, is faith alone. It's faith alone that saves us in Jesus dying on the cross. In our place to take our punishment. That's the gospel. It's also our invitation, picking up on what Chris said earlier. It is an invitation to us. It's an invitation to all of the Jews, an invitation to all of the Gentiles, an invitation to all of us here today. It's one we don't deserve, but it's one that Jesus died to give us. This invitation, a place in heaven. That's what the gospel is. Jesus dying on the cross in our place to set us a place in heaven. So the gospel, we've looked at quite a lot. Um, But Paul often went to speak to different people and he changed how he introduced the gospel to different people. So in Acts 13, he's in a synagogue and he goes on the history of God, the history of Israel. But when he's speaking to Gentiles, he goes from a different view. He shows, when he's speaking to uh, the people in Athens, for example, he shows that God, who created the world, is the God who saves. So Peter, Paul, and Peter actually did it too, he changed how he introduced the gospel, depending on who he was talking to. What he never changed was the truth of the gospel, and this is why he was in Galatians, not in Galatians, why he was writing Galatians, because he's saying, I might change how I introduce the gospel, I might preach uh, God the creator, or I might preach God the father of Israel, But it doesn't matter where I end up because the gospel always ends up at Jesus. Mm. And that's that's the way it should be today, isn't it? We might might not work preaching the gospel to the Jews in this building now because. We're not Jewish. It might not work preaching one thing to one people. You can preach one way to students, one way to old people. That's great. We should always be willing to uh, interact with people where they are. But what we should never do is change the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place to take our punishment. And that's what Paul here is writing in this whole letter. He's saying, don't do it. Don't change the truth. Don't change the gospel. And Paul knew people were trying to do it. That's what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to add circumcision to the gospel. Circumcision. Circumcision is is an interesting topic, but it's basically was the sign that the Jews had been saved. And these Judaizers were saying that in order to be secure in your salvation, you needed to have this outward sign, this circumcision. And Paul very, very clearly says to them, no, you don't need it. That's not what saves you. You don't need to add anything to the law, anything to Jesus. In fact, not to the law. The Judaizers wanted them to follow the Mosaic law. It's not a law made up of a lot of different pictures, don't worry. But it's the law. It's it's just Jesus is what we need to follow. We don't need to try and do different things. We don't need to try and live our life because that will save us. We don't need to go to church to save us. We don't need to give money to the poor to save us because it's Jesus who saves us. All those things are good things to do, but it's Jesus who saves us. Now, I hope you realize I think that's quite important. Seems as I seem to have said that quite a long time. But that is what Paul is going on all through the book of Galatians, all through all of his letters. He's saying that Jesus is the centre. Jesus is where our faith should be at. And there's going to be people who try and change that. There's going to be people who try and dumb down uh, the gospel to try and make it acceptable to people. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, the the message of the cross, uh, we we read elsewhere in the New Testament, is folly. People just don't want to know the message of the cross because they think it's foolish. But we know it is the power of God. And we can't dumb that down because it is God's power. And that is how he saves people. Not through stuff, but through Jesus. So the gospel, that's what it is. It's sinners like us can be pardoned from the judgment we deserve. But if we look further on in Galatians, we see that the gospel isn't concerned about who you are or where you're from. We can see that from uh, verses 7 to 10. I'm just going to read those again. Uh, They say, On the contrary, when they saw that I I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, uh, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me uh, for mine for the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who saw the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. That's what the gospel is. It's not just for us here. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone, for anyone who wants to receive it. The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. It's for all of us. God's people originally, when he chose them, were just the Israelites. So they thought they were the chosen people of God. They thought they were super special. But the gospel shows us, Jesus dying on the cross shows us, that actually, it's not just the Jews, the chosen people of God. It's everybody in the world can be with God. Everybody in the world has this invitation. Peter knew that. Paul knew that. Peter knew he had a special ministry to go to the Jews. Paul Knew he had a special ministry to go to the Gentiles. I like verse 8, which is in brackets in my Bible, but it tells us a little bit about what's behind both Paul and Peter's ministry. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. It's not Paul's words, it's not Peter's words, it's not Nigel's words, it's not my words, it's God working through us in the holy spirit speaking his words in his power that's that's what the gospel is it's it's god speaking through us to everyone and that's why paul goes to get, um, goes to jerusalem to show them that and when they realize that they agree that he should go and share the gospel with the gentiles and peter should go to the jews they give him the right hand of fellowship. I always think the right hand of fellowship is a bit of a slap around the face, but it's not. It's just like a handshake, basically saying, we agree. We're brothers. We're united with you in Christ. We agree that you're going to go to the Gentiles. We're going to go to the, the uh, Jews. And that's what we're going to do. It shows a unity uh, in the gospel. There's not two. There's not Peter and Paul's. It's just Jesus. And two weeks ago, when Nigel introduced us to uh, the book of Galatians, he told us that actually Paul's not just writing to people in Galatia or Asia or whatever 2,000 years ago, but he's writing also uh, to us. He's reminding the Galatians that actually the gospel doesn't just belong in a small select group. It's theirs. It's theirs to share and it's theirs for the whole world. And also he's reminding them that they should watch out for people who tried to change it because people were trying to do it. But also he's encouraging them to go and share the gospel. He's encouraged them to show that actually the gospel is something that can't just be kept to one group. Can't just be put in a little bubble and, and sort of, oh, that's the gospel. The gospel is something that in itself just shares. It's a sharing gospel. It's for every one and just like uh, Paul's telling the Galatians that, he's also telling us, we have a part in, in this ministry that is mentioned here, this gospel here. We might not all be great Pauls or great Peters, but you've all been entrusted with the gospel. We've all got the gospel written on our hearts, in our minds, through the spirit. And that is what we should be sharing. It should be bubbling out of our lives with who we, who we live with, with who we work with, with who we socialise with, with who we meet in the street or the supermarket. They should be able to see the gospel through us. It might not be easy to share the gospel. I, I know it's not, especially as we, as we live in a, a present evil age, is what Paul puts it in early Galatians. But, as I said before, the message of the cross is the power of, of God, So it might not be easy, but our message comes with the power of God. So it doesn't matter whether people are English or Welsh. It doesn't matter whether they're from the north or the south, whether they're fat or thin, whether they're tall or short, whether they're black or white. It doesn't matter. We should tell them all. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter who they are or where they're from. What matters is that Jesus died on the cross to save Everyone that wants to turn to him. We now get in Galatians. You might have noticed I didn't quite read verse ten because it almost seems like it's a bit of a throwaway line. It seems like it's sort of just tagged into the end there on a on a passage about the gospel, and it says, "They asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do," and I thought that's a bit odd. What's that doing in there? Why, why is he suddenly gone from talking about the gospel to talking about remembering the poor? And then I thought for a minute, and I thought, actually, that's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? It's about sharing something rich with people who are poor. But what they wanted, in, in particular in this verse, in this, in this passage, they wanted to ensure that Christians were looking after each other, They were sharing this unity in the gospel, that they weren't being two separate groups, that they weren't just having, you know, one little church here that has nothing to do with this little church here. Which is why I find it really encouraging with things like Borderlands, when you've got a group of churches working together. Even when you get things like um, gospel partnerships, which um, are basically when a bunch load of churches all get together and do all sorts of stuff together. I find that really encouraging because that is the unity of the gospel put into practice. It doesn't matter. Sometimes people can believe different things slightly, but they've got that unity in the gospel. Jesus uh, is central to that. And as long as they, that's fine. Um, but there's a couple of challenges I found. This was quite challenging to me. And there's a couple of challenges here to us, I think. One here is, do we support our fellow Christians, our fellow brothers who are struggling? And the second Uh, is, are we caring for the poor? Do we care for the poor and do we share uh, with them? And this passage might not exactly be talking about sharing with non-believers, but I think it's true, isn't it? Caring for people is a great practical way for us to share the gospel. Um, Isaiah prophesies about it. He says the gospel will come uh, to the poor. And it's, that's a good thing to do, to share people, the good news, uh, with people who are poor, who have less. But I'd, you notice there as well, it's not just caring for the poor. This past, this, this verse there isn't just on its own. It's in the middle of the gospel. And it shows us that actually we can't just care for the poor and the gospel separately. They are closely related. They're together. If we, if as a church, you're doing good stuff for the poor, which is no bad thing to do, but if you're not sharing that with the gospel, you know better than any other non-governmental organization. You know better than anybody else if we're just doing that. We've got something special to bring, which is the gospel, which speaks into people's lives, which changes people's lives. And so when we, Help the poor. When we help people, it should be that partnership between helping them and sharing the gospel with them, because that's their ultimate need, isn't it? Can't turn my page. Stuck together. Excuse me. So I'm going to. I've got. have got a couple of stories actually, which I, I find quite encouraging. My uh, mum and dad uh, from the Midlands. They go to a little church. It's called Karma Evangelical Church, and it's tiny. It really is. But it's in the middle of two huge high-rise flats. They're uh, um, council-owned and council-run. And in these flats, they've got loads of drug addicts. They've got loads of alcoholics. They've got loads of down and outs, rejected by society, basically. Um, And what my, my, my parents' church does, every month on a Saturday morning, they have breakfast. And they welcome the people from the flats into the church. Quite nice. I like breakfast. It's always a good thing to do. But also they've got, they used to have a bit of wasteland at the back of their church and they converted that with the help from the people in the flats into a therapeutic garden. So they were able to get the, these drug addicts to come and dig their garden. And that was a great sort of thing for them to do. It helped them. It helped them. It helped them to interact with other people. But on the, on the, on the monthly breakfast, there is always a short gospel uh, presentation. And from these works, there are two or three guys in the church now from the flats who have become Christians and who are now fighting their alcohol, alcoholism. That's the good news of the gospel. Through sharing with these guys, through giving them a place where they can be accepted, through giving them breakfast, through sharing the gospel, they've come to see that Christ is their saviour. And actually, that is now affecting their life. So they're trying to turn away from their alcoholism. You might not have the, well, you haven't got the resources to that. You haven't got a building to be able to do that. Uh, but I've got another story. Two of our friends uh, from the church we were just in recently had a baby. Um, and their in-laws came to stay with them to look after their other daughter. Uh, but people from the church kept on bringing along some meals, often shepherd's pie, because that's an easy thing to do. But it was they brought along meals. But it wasn't just the main course. They did a pudding as well. But when uh, their non-Christian family saw this they were amazed they were like why are people caring for you and because of the care that their christian brothers and sisters showed them their in-laws started coming to church it doesn't matter what we've got to share but we can share the gospel in whatever we do tesco tagline says every little helps and it really does every little helps And especially when it's involved with the spirit, because even just a little from the spirit is more powerful than anything else. So the gospel, it's for anyone, doesn't matter where they're from, what they look like or anything like that. It's for anyone. But it also comes with a great responsibility. And this brings me to the last part of uh, the bit that I was given today, possibly the most difficult part I was given today as well, uh, which is it was great. Um, but I'm not going to look massively into some of the controversy that's here because it is there is a little bit of a controversy. But I was still warning to us, really. We might have been given the gospel. We might have heard it, but it comes with a great responsibility. It has to be lived out in every part of our lives. It has to be shared with an honesty and an openness. Paul knows this. That's why he was able uh, to write to the churches in uh, Thessalonica, Thessalonica um, Ron Thessalonians. And he writes, our gospel came not only by word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul knew that the gospel actually mattered as to how he acted. He knew that it wasn't just his words, but it was how he treated His brothers, his sisters, his wife, his children, not that he had them, that we know. But it's how he acted and lived every day of his life. He knows to share the gospel, he had to be living a visible gospel life. It has to be a genuine gospel life, not a hypocritical life, saying one thing and doing another. Going to church on a Sunday and living a completely different life uh, during the week. And that's why Paul opposes Peter in uh, verses 11 to 14. Peter has been living in Antioch for a while. He's been eating with the Gentiles, which is a little bit frowned upon if you're a Jew. Um, and we, that's an, an something else in Acts 11. But he's been happily doing this. He's been happily sharing food with them, sharing the gospel with them, because he knows that they're brothers and they're partners in Christ, and that doesn't ma- any, anything else doesn't matter. But there's some people come they come to try and cause trouble they come up from jerusalem claiming to have authority and when they come peter's afraid of them and he steps back and he stops eating with the gentiles now that that is actually quite bad that hypocrisy there when he steps back and stops sharing with the gentiles but it gets even worse not only does peter stop eating with the gentiles but paul's Companion Barnabas, he stops eating with the Gentiles and other Jews stop eating with the Gentiles. It was hypocritical and it was going to have a detrimental effect on the church and on the gospel. That's why Paul had to confront Peter. He wasn't just a grumpy old man. He saw that their conduct wasn't in line with the gospel. He saw that they weren't living gospel lives. And that needed to be sorted out. And that's what Paul is been concerned with all through this chapter, that the truth of the gospel is stuck to. And Peter wasn't doing it. So he called him upon it publicly because it was a public offence. But he called him upon it and said, you're out of line, stop doing that. And Paul is willing to defend the gospel at all costs, even if it means there's going to be a bit of trouble because he sees that Leading people astray, living hypocritical lives, isn't in line with the gospel. It's not living a true gospel-centered life. And it's a challenge, uh, it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge uh, for everyone today, isn't it? If our conduct, if what we do isn't in line with the truth of the gospel, if we aren't practicing what we preach, if we are going out one day doing one thing on a Sunday and then going out during the week and doing something completely different, What's that about? What message are we giving out to people who aren't Christians? We're saying that the gospel's not that important. It's only for Sunday. It's not for the rest of our lives. But the gospel is. It's for the whole of our life. It's for every day of our life. And we should be living it. We should be living for Christ in all that we do, in all that we say. And we should be trying to strive to preserve it. We've got to stand our ground. And we've got to be firm with the gospel. People like Martin Luther, they stood their ground against the Catholic Church. People like a guy called Athanasius, who was like, well, he's sort of like in the AD zeros. He was quite a while ago. He was willing to be exiled at least four times when the gospel was under attack. He was willing to stand up for the gospel. And that's a challenge to us today. Are we willing to stand up for what we believe? Are we willing to to say that's out of line with the gospel? It doesn't have to be a public thing. It can be a private thing where we um, talk to our brothers and sisters. But are we willing to stand up for the gospel? Sometimes it might not be, To the extent that Martin Luther and Athanasius had to be. But it's still not going to be easy. But we know that the gospel isn't our power. It isn't Nigel's power. It's God's power in us, through us. The gospel, we've looked at it quite a lot. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter anything like that. It shouldn't be changed. It's true. It's true. And we should live our lives according to it. But also, it needs a response. We can't just ignore it. We can't just hear it. We've got to, there's got to be a response. There are a couple of responses. The one is to ignore it and not do anything about it and just think, oh, that's a nice story for them. The second one is to accept it. When we accept it, we follow it. When we follow it, we praise Christ. It's great some of the songs we've been singing this morning we've all been remembering what Christ has done on the cross and that's what we should be doing because of the gospel praising our Lord Jesus Christ for what he did on the cross for sinners like me. Jesus died for us to bring us to himself to give us that invitation I don't deserve it no way but Jesus did it for me And to me, that's worthy of praise. So just as we finish, uh, I think we're going to sing some more songs just to, or as we carry on in the service, we're going to just sing some more songs. We're going to just respond um, and just have a moment of quiet and just respond in your own hearts to God. And then we'll respond out loud to the praise of our wonderful Saviour.